You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Bible for Normal People. I think we mentioned this at the end of a previous episode, but want to make sure for those of you heathens, pagans, who skip the last few minutes of the episode, just like I do, that uh, if you want to rep Bible for Normal People, we have t-shirts, we got merch, we got mugs, we got all kinds of stuff. So if you wanted to head to the BibleForNormalPeople.com front slash store, you can do that. One thing as a disclaimer, we don't have adult onesies, which apparently when we launched this online was a no-no. So we apologize. We did not make adult onesies. So maybe maybe forthcoming. We'll see. But anyway, thanks again for stopping by here on the podcast today. We have a practitioner. We really, our, our mission is to bring the best in Bible scholarship to everyday people. It's what we really love to do. And in addition to that, sort of, it's, it's related to that, is we want to know how that scholarship gets passed down to the practitioners, the pastors, the people who are guiding Christians in this walk with the Bible on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. So today we have Kevin Makins, who's the founding pastor of Eucharist Church in Ontario, Canada. And one thing I really appreciated about this conversation was when I stopped being a pastor, one of the things that I appreciated most was not having to figure out how to be in this liminal space as an individual saying, I'm okay with other people believing whatever they want to believe. I can be non-judgmental and non-anxious and engage people in conversation, whether they're atheists, agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, conservative Christian, liberal Christian, it really doesn't matter, the label to me. But that's very different than being tasked as a pastor with kind of holding the identity of a community together. So, how can you be in this space of really no boundaries in terms of conversation and inclusion as an individual, and yet be tasked with this communal community? And how do you hold it together? And, and Kevin does a really good job of talking about how they do that at Eucharist Church. And, uh, and so, I, I really appreciate it because it's something I'm always curious about. And we talk ab- about a lot of things, including how he reads the Bible and how that affects his church community. So, hope that this is a gift for you guys, just as it was for myself and Pete. Let's get to it. Really, we want to see, does this produce good fruit in your life? And so, if you have great theology, but you're not caring for your neighbors, you're not caring for new arrivals, you're not volunteering, you're not giving your money to people who are in need, like, who cares? I I don't think it matters all that much if it's not driving us. If your faith isn't helping you, your, your beliefs isn't bringing a casserole to somebody in your church who needs it, bring them the casserole. That's what this faith is about. This is very gritty, hands on, pragmatic faith. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and She said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com 
Promo code NORMALPEOPLE. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code NORMALPEOPLE for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code NORMALPEOPLE. All right, Kevin, welcome to our podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and you're just so weird. <laughs> is that is that where we're starting? No, really, here? you I'm are, so and that's weird. fantastic. You're sort of a normal person, and you're Canadian. I am Canadian. Hey, I'm in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, which is just a couple minutes, about forty five minutes outside of Toronto. So we're kind of a interesting city nearby that big city you know of, right? Well, at least you know your place with Americans. Just kind we of know, saying, like, yeah, there's yeah, one thing that you maybe know about Canada. We're pretty close to that thing. We're like, you know, Drake. We're kind of like Drake. <laughs> <laughs> we're Drake's little brother that nobody respects, but we're really cool if you get to know us. <laughs> well, okay, it's an honor to have you here then. You, you don't speak French, do you? I, I don't. I don't. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> I know. I actually know more about Canada than I'm letting on. I'm just acting like an idiot. It's worth No, it's I don't good. know why. It's, it's just what I do sometimes. So anyway, yeah. Hey, listen, so Kevin, Here, here's the thing that we really want to talk to you about because you're a practitioner, you're a pastor, yes, and, and a you pastor. have a story of how you got there. Okay. Yeah. So let's yeah, t- yeah. T- talk about like where where you came from because we're going to get into Bible and stuff like that with your people. But how mm-hmm. how did you get to this point? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was raised in the Lutheran Church in Canada, Missouri Synod. Do you guys know the difference between the Missouri Synod and the the E L I C E L C A? Yeah. Why don't you? But why don't you make the distinction for our listeners here? Well, when I was a kid, it was just there were the good Lutherans and the bad Lutherans, and we were the good Lutherans, and that was all we knew. Like we didn't know that there were. We knew there were bad Lutherans. We didn't know any bad Lutherans. And so something that I've, I've kind of come to realize as I talk to my American friends is how different it was being raised in like a large city in Southern Ontario, because I didn't know any other people were Christians my entire like young life. So we were raised in the Lutheran church, went to church every Sunday, very faithful, little congregation. And I legitimately thought that the future of the faith was on the shoulders of like me and my sister and my two cousins who were the pastor's kids. Wow. I, I like, I went to public school. I didn't know there were other Christians. We went to our little church youth group with the five of us or the four of us. And, and that was it. And so it wasn't until I was 17 years old and I met these, I saw these cute girls on the beach and went to chat to them and, and turned out that they were, of all things, Pentecostals. And I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and I went to youth group with them and I was like, wait a minute, there's just a bunch of other people walking around being Christian. Like it was the complete kind of moment that just threw me. Like I thought that we were the only ones because public school, nobody else I knew went to church. None of my neighbors went to church. And then later I found out as I entered into like seminary and biblical studies that there was this whole country to the south of us where just everybody claimed to be Christian. And it completely blew my mind. You mean Mexico? Exactly. Yeah. Very faithful Mexico. Yeah. Like I just, I I couldn't fathom that. And and I'd hear a song occasionally, like a, a ska song by some Christian band that I didn't know were Christians and they'd talk about Jesus. And it was just this like total sideswipe. And so for most of my life, being a person who interacted with the Bible, read the Bible, went to church on Sundays, was a bit of an outlier. And that wouldn't be the case for everyone in Southern Ontario, but for me as a part of a a kind of mainline denomination as a kid, that was the context. And so it was a very different kind of place to start when it came to becoming a pastor, becoming a church planter, and, and kind of entering into this whole path of, you know, vocational ministry that I'm now in. Okay. So did your you, did you have some shifts or transitions in your thinking over the years? Because you sorted out, it sounds like, thinking that the whole Christian 
future rests on your shoulders and then your world got bigger. <laughs> right? Yeah, like it, it was it was never something that I disagreed with. It was just something I didn't care about. Like I, I saw all these people in our church when I was a kid who were in their fifties and kind of assumed, oh, like I get it. You are raised in the church and then you walk away till you're fifty. And then you come back, and then hopefully you haven't gotten hit by like a bus or something. You say the prayer, you go to heaven, and, and everything's good. Or, you know, you go to communion again and say the catechism, and you're saved. And so it wasn't until I met these other young people that I kind of had any other context for faith at all. And so one of the things that I kind of realized earlier on in my own faith development, when I certainly didn't want to be a pastor, but I was, I was very interested in following Jesus, was that, you know, the, the biggest challenges we were facing in the context I was in at the time was like apathy towards faith and spirituality. These weren't people who, for the most part at that point, had read the Bible and been hurt by it or raised in the church and hurt by it. It was a lot of people who had just never engaged at all with the Bible or never engaged at all with church or with any of these kind of practices of the faith. And so that was kind of this brand new space that I got to experience, which was super cool. But then after that, when I went to university, sort of had this run from ministry. I had that classic story where I wasn't a pastor's kid. Are either of you guys pastor kids? No. No. Okay, yeah. Like, I was a pastor's nephew. So I feel like if you're a pastor's kid, you're sort of doomed to, like, just, like, you probably won't come through unscathed, which is frightening because I'm a father now. But I was a pastor's nephew. And so I kind of had this, like, lingering sense of being tied to the ministry, but not really particularly interested in going that route. So I went to school and went down a whole different path. And it's, it's a long story, but I, I dropped out and... Worked a bad job at a night shift at Tim Hortons, if you guys know Tim Hortons. Mm -hmm. And then I got fired from the night shift at Tim Hortons, and it was a horrible mess. And and eventually, through this kind of long-winded story, I ended up getting pulled back into, you know, my plan doesn't seem to be going that well. Maybe God's got something better planned. And so that's how I kind of got dragged into biblical studies. And it was in that place where, you know, the Bible started coming to life for me in a way that was not just the religion of my parents or something that someone else believed, but something that was deeply important to me. And so, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you guys have covered in other episodes of this podcast or in your books would be stuff that I started encountering as I was actually, you know, in that space of, of doing my undergrad, doing my master's, studying the Bible. But really, the other side of things that I found was that there was a lot of people who had no experience with scripture at all, and, and they didn't have all the baggage for them. They just didn't really care. But some of them, as we church planted and had this community, some of them were coming to church because they wanted to figure out stuff with God kind of more generally. Some of them had kids now, and they wanted to figure out what kind of religious stuff to hand down to them. But for a lot of people, the Bible wasn't just like something, it was something that was foreign, almost more than it was something that had been used against them. Mm -hmm. And so in due time, we've had plenty of both join our church. But I think that that's something that's, that's probably a little different about the context that we're in. And I imagine, I mean, I know, Jared, you're in, in uh, is it Philadelphia that you're in? Yes, we're both in Philly, so. yeah. You're both in Philadelphia. Okay. So yeah, I, I mean, I imagine in kind of larger American cities, you might have this kind of post-Christendom that is really, you know, seeping down a couple of generations. But in Canada, I think we're just a few generations ahead of that. So my grandparents didn't go to church. And so, you know, we're starting to really see this entirely lapsed Christian memory, which is a very interesting place uh, to start talking about the Bible. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your congregation, because it seems like a very, very interesting place, and you're trying to do some different kinds of things with this very, very post-Christian culture that you're dealing with. Yeah. Well, our, so our community started in 2010. I was 23 years old, which is... 
a bad idea. If anyone listening to this thinks that's a good idea, it's not. Anything that good that kind of came out of this happened because we had some good mentors come in and sort of stop us from exploding early on. But we had this kind of really young, scrappy church. We didn't have a lot of funding. We didn't have like all the you know, denominational backings and coaching and all that. We were really starting with, you know, with a, a little bit of resourcing from a mother church that I had worked at in, in Toronto for two years, but largely was just 15, 20 of us sitting in a living room saying, you know, let's, let's be the church. Let's see what it looks like to try to be the church in our city in a way that is, you know, faithful and innovative and reaching people that maybe have not been comfortable in church environments. And so we, we started this gathering and we started these home groups and, you know, kind of very churchy stuff. But we ended up finding very quickly that we had two streams that we were drawing from. And somebody said this once to me. They said that our church, uh, which is called Eucharist Church, is a front door, back door community. So they said uh, it's either people coming in through the front door and they've never been to church before. They've never engaged with the Bible before. This is the first time they've ever entered into any sort of Christian journey uh, or they're people heading out the back door. So they had been burned by church, or they were disinterested in church, or, s- or something bad had happened, and they were going to leave the faith, but somebody said, hey, you know, why don't you give this weird, scrappy church a try, and, and kind of pulled them into our community. So we ended up with these people on both sides. <laughs> and it's funny, the person who said that to me was saying it as a critique. She was leaving the church, and she said, like, I want a church for people that are comfortably inside. Uh, you guys are a front door, back door. And we were like, ooh, you know, yeah, that hurts a bit, but also that front door, back door thing... Like, can we borrow that? That's really good. <laughs> and so we're like, thank you for that parting gift. And so we, we ended up kind of owning this identity of, you know, we're kind of on the edge of the faith. And, and I've heard Richard Rohr use that language as well, the edge of the faith, the edge of the inside, or the edge of the outside. And so that's kind of the space that we found ourselves quite comfortable in, that people in our church are aware this is going to be a space where people are coming in either with some significant baggage and need for deconstruction, or they're coming in completely apathetic or with no uh, understanding of the biblical story. They're just hungry for for meaning or purpose or community or connection. Well, uh, I would imagine then that within that particular community, how you teach the Bible or how you approach it. So, I, I know for me, Mm-hmm. I grew up in I grew up with a certain understanding of the Bible and even as I grew older and discontent with that understanding of the Bible I still found myself saying like well I don't know how else to do it I don't I don't really right, know right. as much as I would like to teach you something else I'm sort of ingrained with this one way of seeing how the Bible works mm. so what was that transition for you and how did you come to see the Bible in a way that would be palatable for these front door back door folks Yeah I mean I mean it helped that I had done a bit of my own backdoor work. Um, like I had done a bit of this deconstruction, reconstruction, and had some good mentors and friends and authors, you know, including people like you, Pete, who had kind of got that. Wasn't that nice how I just kind of like butted you up right there? You just you just <laughs> slid right in just the way we including rehearsed you, it. Pete. Yeah, I'm, beautiful. I'm offended that I wasn't included, but I know. thank you. And, and, Continue and, on. And, and now you, Jared. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Okay, no, you may proceed. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I had I had some of these resources that you get when you have you know, a master's degree, you get the time to do that work, but was realizing there were these people in our church that didn't have that, that kind of privileged space to learn. But it was actually more than anything, the people in our church who were the front door people who helped me figure my, I don't know, can I say shit? They helped me figure my shit out. You just did. I know. Okay. Bleep it out later if you guys need to. They were the ones that really helped me figure out how you do this from scratch and how you do this with kind of fresh eyes. Because I would be preaching 
And there would be times where, you know, I, I don't think I'm a super heady preacher, but there'd be times where I'd, I'd say something and it just wouldn't click. Probably the best example actually I have of this, <laughs> I love this because it just illustrated it so much to me. We had this woman that was visiting our church. Her sister had started coming to church. Neither of them were raised in Christian homes. And we were doing a sermon series on Jonah. And so this woman who had been attending a couple of weeks asked me if she could get together with me and if we could talk about faith and about Jesus. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is great. Let's do it. Went to a coffee shop, sat down. She had this big list in front of her. And she was like, okay, so I've got a bunch of questions and I just want to ask you all of them. And I was like, cool, let's go. You know, hit me, let's go. She goes, great. So first off, Jesus and Jonah, are they like the same person or different people? (laughs) And I was like, huh? And she was like, well, you know, like you mentioned Jesus and that he said this thing about the sign of Jonah and that Jonah was like three days and Jesus said something with three days and I just don't understand. And this was not a dumb woman. This woman works in a biology lab. (laughs) Like this is not a, a stupid person. She's just somebody who wasn't raised with all the privilege we get if we're raised in the church around, and all the baggage we get, but you know, with all that we get from being raised in the church. Like if you're raised in the church, my kind of thesis on this is you've got an undergraduate degree's worth of just names, dates, locations. You've got songs that teach you the books of the Bible in order. Like you have so much information that we can so easily take for granted when really, really intelligent people are coming to the text and saying, wait, are Jonah and Jesus the same person? And so kind of for me, the first step of figuring out how do we crack this story open so that it can live for everybody, not just for those of us who have inherited this, is going to be helping these people enter the story exactly as they are. So I actually at that time handed out pieces of paper to everybody that was new to church and said, um, this is your Christianese BS sheet. And whenever I use a word that doesn't make sense, it's not a real word, and I don't explain it or I don't give you context for it, just write it down, and then later, let's talk. And so they'd come up afterwards with this, you know, you said Israel, what's Israel? You say, I mean, I don't use a lot of churchy language, but even still, they'd come up and say, you know, all, all these questions. Because when we use this language, I mean, and, and not my church, but lots of churches, you know, you say something like, washed in the blood of the lamb, and that is the freakiest thing someone has ever heard. <laughs> like, what in the world does this mean? And so them coming to me and saying, hey, these are words that aren't real words that we use today in our day-to-day life, uh, really opened up my eyes to not only how to translate the story to them, but also opened up my eyes to the assumptions that I and, and we, even as a community, were carrying into the text. Because these people were also picking stuff up yeah, it's, really, It's more, really you know, Kevin, what I'm hearing, it's more than, it's, it's not really saying that there's biblical illiteracy. It's, because that's already, that's still sort of, I think, presuming a Christendom right, right. mentality. This is really like a different universe of discourse than what you're used to, right? It's just, it's just a different mm-hmm. place, and you, you can't... You have to meet the people where they are. Well, and what's so cool about this is that it works both ways. Like when you get these front door, back door people. So I had a, a small group at our house and a woman in our church was talking about the hangups that she has about God and about faith. She was raised, you know, really conservative, reformed tradition. And she said, I have a hard time thinking about the gospel because when someone says gospel, I think of this horrible stuff. (laughs) We had this guy in the group who was a brand new Christian, never been to church before, you know, uh, became a follower of Jesus in our community. And he said to her, well, what do you think of when you hear the word gospel and you hear good news? And she goes, well, you know, I hear 
that God hates all of us who are sinning so much that he was going to throw us into a fiery pit for all of eternity, but instead he murdered his own son so that he didn't have to murder us. And everybody in the room that was raised in the church was nodding, and my friend who wasn't raised in church started laughing out loud. And he was just laughing. He was like, that is the most crap good news I've ever heard. <laughs> and and so they ended up in this brilliant, beautiful conversation where he was saying, that's not the good. The good news is that God loves us. The good news is that Jesus shows us how to be human. The good news is that God is restoring all things in, in this age and the age to come. And he's doing that through peacemaking. Like he just lay out this gorgeous presentation of the good news. And she said, that's what I believe but my first impulse is still wired from the way that it was handed to me, the baggage that I carry. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community, You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for an Old People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener to the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes, but we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We love the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. And so I, I've really realized that the, you know, the, the salvation, the kind of the saving of, of all of us here is coming through these groups coming together. You know, these front door, back door people are really bringing each other good news and translating this for one another. And so it's, it wouldn't even be fair to say, you know, oh, those people that weren't raised in the church need us to translate for them. I think it would even be fairer to say, we need them to kind of open our eyes up to what is actually good about this. And, and it flows both ways. 
Yeah, so they're not just a project or something, but you're actually that's sort of like the definition of missional from what I've heard. There's actually mm. a mutual influence there and and you're learning how to be Jesus differently, I guess. In, in, in the oh, world yeah. that you live in. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot here, Kevin. Oh, put me on the spot. Let's do it. <laughs> I think that's a great example of how do you deal with so so you have these kind of backdoor folks who say gospel means or, you know, basically I've inherited this tradition that says this is what the meaning of the gospel or the meaning of Jesus' death and, and resurrection is is uh, there's a wrathful God, and, and Jesus has to sort of jump between me and, and God's bullet to save me from his wrath. How, what Are there alternatives? Like, what's another vision for how you preach this? Because I, I imagine that's tricky when you're preaching every week and trying to kind of avoid some of these, like, you know, you come to these realizations like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a, yeah, I guess that's not a great way of looking at it. What are some mm. alternative ways that you talk about things like the gospel or even talking about the Bible since we're, you know, the Bible for normal people? How, how do you talk right. about the Bible <laughs> with these groups of people? Who are very normal. Yeah. I mean, I mean that. They're very, very normal people, right? Just yeah, like pictures, yeah. Yeah, I mean, analogies, weirdos, whatever. But they're, they're normal in, in that way. Like, <laughs> these are yes. not... Um, I mean, it's it's probably worth stating a, kind of about our community, and, and I'm sure this is true about a lot of church communities, that you know my role in this is is a big part of this. You know, as as the one of the pastors, we have two pastors. My co-pastor Jill is is stellar, and you know, as as the pastor that does the majority of the preaching, some of this does fall on me. But we are really trying to shape a community of people who are following Jesus together. So I do have a, a certain amount of responsibility. Happy to talk about that. But one of the biggest things for me and, and for us as a community is trying to find spaces where people interact with each other, they sharpen each other, they bring their perspectives and their worldviews and their reading of the Bible together, and we are allowed to disagree. And so we actually have, as much as I, I talk about that kind of crap good news in jest, we have people in our church who probably land in that kind of penal substitutionary atonement space. It's not where I land, and so from the pulpit I can say, hey, this is not where I land, this is not what I see Scripture saying. But we actually hold space in our church to say, if that's where you are, and it's bringing about good fruit in your life, and it's helping you grow closer to God and others, if, you know, if you're sponsoring refugees because for some reason PSA gets you there, you know, that's okay. So part of it is making a space to say, we aren't handing a fully formed Christianity over to these new people. We're trying to share with them who Jesus is and help them enter into a relationship with this community and with God. But within that, there's going to be space for people to disagree amongst each other. And so I guess that's kind of worth pointing out because in some ways that might be, I'm not sure, that might be different from how some communities operate. We're very low control over what individual people in our congregation believe. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's fantastic. What sorts of things that come up in these discussions with people where, you know, you have low maintenance, low control, allowing to disagree, but what sort of things about the Bible animates them? Because the Bible is, is still a part of this. It's a part of the discussion and, and you know, not necessarily getting the right answer, but at least talking about it. But there've got to be things I can imagine that maybe some reading for the first time are saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I mean, what, what are some of those obstacles? Because I can imagine people listening have probably not the same context as you, but similar kinds of experiences as, as many people that you deal yes. with. Us. Yeah. And I, yeah, so I'd say for a lot of people in our church, probably the majority, you know, they, we have, we, when we started, we had like no kids, we were just mostly hipsters. 
And now we're like old hipsters with uh, like a million children as well. And so you've got this dilemma where you're, it was okay for you to deconstruct and kind of work it out when you didn't have kids. But now whether you have kids or in our church, you know, a lot of the people that don't have kids are, are living in community with, with other families and stuff. How do you teach these stories to kids? <laughs> so, you know, you get the classic like, oh, we'll teach them Noah's Ark. It's got everything, adorable animals and a storm and a boat. You know, and the first question from the five-year-old is like, so did God murder everyone? And you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. And so we are having to figure out, like, how do you... There are some people in our church who are comfortable talking to their kids or talking to other people and saying, you know, well, I guess God can do what God wants to do. But but for most people in our church, these are the kind of spaces where you enter into the question at kind of a, a communal level. What do we think of this story? And how do you receive this story? And so, you know, people will talk and, and kind of throw out their ideas. People will do their own work. But when I'm preaching, I'm, I'm also trying to, or when I'm, you know, teaching a class or facilitating a space, trying to lay out, here are the different ways we can faithfully read this and trying to present people with the best kinds of readings of these as we can and trying to, to give people a sense of, here's what this meant, here's what this didn't mean. And, and the tension that we've kind of had to strike, and it's a bit of a tension between, I think, that front door, back door life is how do we give enough context so that this biblical story about genocide or this biblical story about a flood or this imagery in Revelation, how do we give enough context that it doesn't disturb you in ways that it's not meant to disturb you? You know, that the authors didn't want it to disturb you in these ways while also letting it be larger than life and urgent and a little magical, and so, you know, we don't want to rip the beauty and magic and power out of the story of Jonah by overanalyzing it or, or overanalyzing the question, you know, was there a big fish? But we also want to help people who are these very smart people come to the text and be able to enter into it. And, and that's a tension that I know you guys have wrestled with. I know that the guests of yours, um, Rachel Held Evans' new book, she did a great job wrestling with that. But how do you do that? Because again, the, the, two kind of challenges we face in the culture that I'm in is people being hurt and burned by the Bible who need to be given a bit of a door into the story, but people who are apathetic to it. And if all we say is, hey, this is a great old book of stories, like other cultures, old books of stories, they're just not interested. You know, what's what's the point? And so we have to be able to say, not only is this an old book of stories, but there's magic and there's power in it. And it can be your story as well. If you, if you pick this up. We're going to take a break from the podcast for just one minute to remind you, if you would like to support the work we do at The Bible for Normal People, head over to patreon.com front slash The Bible for Normal People. There you'll find all sorts of ways to support us for as little as a dollar a month and connect with the community there and engage in that conversation. Again, head over to patreon.com front slash The Bible for Normal People. One group we want to recognize from that group of supporters is our producers group. They get on a call with us. They send us feedback throughout the year to really help the show improve and make it what it is today. So thank you to Byron Yates, Darren McKenna, Scott Johnson, Jamila Crook, Rachel Taylor, Albert Glasscock, Mike Hollis, Dorsey Marshall, Tempa Dunn, Crystal Haverson, Mark Hivek, Becky Davenport. We couldn't do what we do without you. So thank you. Back to the show. I, I'm hearing a, a filter, right? So we talk about there's always a hermeneutic or basically a filter through which we understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong or maybe elaborate on it would be even better. What this filter is for you, you, you kind of mentioned it in passing earlier of, hey, if this, if this bears fruit in your life, if this uh, allows you to do these certain things, 
that's really the most important part of this interpretive framework, which allows for this real free understanding of, you know, if you can't mentally get to a place where Jonah makes sense as a literal story, no big deal. If, if, if you, if that's something that actually brings you comfort and safety, that's okay. But there's this other thing that we're sort of, I don't want to use the word judging, but we're sort of grading these things on a certain rubric. And it sounds like you have one that's sort of fruits of the spirit kind of rubric. Could you yeah, say more yeah. about how, what, what keeps the community as an identity? If, if everyone's allowed to kind of be where they are, what, yeah, yeah. what's the identity of the community? I love that you asked that. That's, that's exactly the tension that we, we've had to wrestle with over the last eight years of being a church. So on the one hand, I would say, yeah, the, the fundamental thing we're looking for here is like a very practical Christianity. <laughs> like um, we're calling people to at least be pragmatic Christians, to at least say, you know, what's the good fruit that comes out of this? Is this good in your life? Is this helping you pursue justice? And so in that way, we are really trying to push everyone almost like spiritual directors, you know, myself and my co-pastor and, and leaders in our church. We do want people to believe some things, and I'll get into that in a, in a second. But really, we want to see, does this produce good fruit in your life and the kind of fruit that Jesus and, and the New Testament point to? And so if you have great theology, but you're not caring for your neighbors, you're not caring for new arrivals, you're not volunteering, you're not giving your money to people who are in need, like who cares? You know, if, if you've got great theology in my perspective or great theology in somebody else's camp, like I, I don't think it matters all that much if it's not driving us into like even the small things, if your faith isn't helping you, your, your beliefs isn't bringing a casserole to somebody in your church who needs it, you know, bring them the casserole. That's what this faith is about. This is very gritty, hands-on. And so we, we do, as a church, we actually, we don't call people to agree on everything. We do call people to submit to a basic Orthodox vision of Christianity, and we don't call them necessarily to do that as individuals, although I would love it if everyone could believe the good news all the time. But we want people to communally, as a family, as a, as a church tribe, to submit ourselves to something bigger and older than us and something that's, you know, lasted more than like the best idea you had last week. So we call people to submit themselves to a basic creedal Christianity, the, the Apostles and Nicene Creed. We ask them to engage with the scriptures as in some way an authoritative guiding voice in our corporate life and individual life. And then from there, we would say, you know, we would love it if every day you can believe in the resurrection of the dead. We would love it if every day you could affirm that God created the world and, and God is good. You know, but if today you can't affirm that, we're going to walk with you through that. We're going to hold that belief for you because this is a communal faith. Uh, we're a congregation together, and we're going to call you to do what you can to experience good fruit in your life that that blesses other people. So giving people a place to settle, in a way, with these broad parameters of, of the creeds, for example, but still the space within that to explore, to be curious, to be honest, maybe with not always believing everything at every minute. Yeah, if, if people want, if listeners want, we have actually written an ebook on this, so I'm happy to send it to people. But we, we call it the one, two, threes of theology, and I won't get all into it. But the, the fundamental idea is we need something older and bigger than us that we can trust. Because kind of in this postmodern culture, you know, in Canadian, very liberal, very postmodern, flexible kind of communities that we're in, we need something we can put our trust in, but we can't 
try to get everyone believing the same thing. You know, we're looking for a unity that is deeper than uniformity, to quote uh, my friend Wendy Gritter. That, that this is a unity that is not about all of us looking the same, talking the same, or believing the same thing, but being united in something big enough to hold our differences and to actually allow our differences to be a strength to one another. Yeah, that's not Christendom. <laughs> And I mean, I I'm not. I'm not just trying is. to be funny, but that's like you're 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 trying to not create the very thing that your grandfather already left behind. That is that is very interesting to hear you say that, and it is something that I'm actually seeing as a trend in American churches as well. But largely, I I, I value the local a lot, so I spend most of my time looking at other churches near us and across Canada. And I'm seeing, you know, dozens. And if anyone listening to this, if you're one of those churches, shoot me a message or something, because I'm trying to figure out who are these churches doing this? Because it does seem like there is a a trend where uh, we're trying to see a sort of reconciliation of followers of Jesus, you know, within this broader framework of unity that is diverse and that looks different. And, and I really think it, there's a bit of a healing of the Reformation happening in places where there aren't enough Christians to make other Christians your enemy. So like, <laughs> like it, maybe it used to be like in your small town, it was like, there's two Catholic churches, a Presbyterian church, a Pentecostal church, like an Orthodox community. And so you just like, well, I guess we hate the Catholics. You yeah. know? Like, or or, or you're a Presbyterian that make... and that other person's a slightly different kind of Presbyterian. Right, right. You're one of the eight kinds of Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could just, you know, oh, they're going to hell, that's fine. You know, but suddenly in your small town, there's like half a Pentecostal church and a two-point parish from the Catholic church. Well, suddenly you're like, oh, crap, we better make some friends. <laughs> there's not enough of us to hate each other. And and it really is. There, there's this, some communities double down on, on their distinctives and, and get a little, you know, aggressive. But I think so many of us in urban places, in small towns, in, in both America, Canada, UK, we are seeing this reconciliation take place. And I think it's God's bizarre plan to heal the wound of the Reformation. I really think it is in some strange way. In that, in that vein, what, what are strategies? Because, you know, in our congregation, we went through a process, I think, similarly, and I think we hold a similar position, but we still tend to lose more conservative people. And so, well, even though we're sort of mm-hmm. preaching diversity and saying that would be great <laughs> for, you know, if you're if you're on the journey and you're willing to stick with us, being in a a place of holding to things that maybe aren't being preached from the pulpit, that's okay. Have you found mm-hmm. ways that you know help your more conservative folks feel like they can actually participate in this widely diverse community, or do they kind of over time feel a little outsiderish? I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say we we get shot a little bit from both sides, which is is not a bad place to be. I don't want to. Mar- it's not like martyrdom. It's not like this is like oh woe is us. It's just we you tend to be misunderstood when you try to do this nuanced communal based work. You know, when you try to create a space for mutual submission, you're not going to get a lot of grants. <laughs> Like it's just a little too subtle, and so that that does come a bit with the territory. We've had very conservative people leave the church, and you know that's okay. If if you're looking for a really conservative church, I know of a couple. There's a few around, and we have at points lost you know more progressive people who feel as if everyone in the church should land in the progressive space that they're in or the liberal space that they're in, whatever your your labels for that. And so that has been a, a reality and. You know, we try to just hold that non-anxiously. You know, people who are conservative, there are really, there are conservatives I know and love 
And they are totally wrong about women in, in leadership. Like they just, they're so wrong. And I keep telling them and they won't listen, but they're actually better Christians than I am. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they're really conservative and they're wrong about women in ministry, but they really care for new arrivals and they really care for the poor. And so, you know, that's not to excuse that or to say that there's no distinctives or that we're the same. Uh, I'm pretty outspoken about some things I believe that make me, you know, not so popular in certain conservative circles, but I can do that with a charity that these are still people who are trying to follow Jesus and do good work. And we've had some very liberal people, and maybe this is a Canadian thing where that's much more the cultural norm in my city is incredibly progressive. And for some people, you know, they want to know that everyone here is affirming of same-sex relationships. And I can say, hey, many people are, many, some people aren't. And we actually aren't going to try to change their minds. We want to help everybody follow their conviction in the healthiest way possible, provided that our practices as a community are inclusive. We are pursuing loving relationships of mutual submission, and we are creating a space where those on the margins aren't pushed further to the margins, but are welcomed in. You know, and if we're doing those things kind of as a, at a communal level, then the diversity that's here will be challenging and stretching but we can actually celebrate every single person in this community for what they bring and the lens they bring to scripture. Yeah, it's it's like, I mean, what I'm hearing, Kevin, is, I mean, not to romanticize anything, but it's sort of like the first <laughs> oh, yeah. century. We, we suck at most of this stuff, though, for the record. This is, well, this no, is... <laughs> but it's, but it's I'm, I'm reminded of things like how the church even started, where basically it's a bunch of people trying to figure it out. And it's not, it's not a system that's already sort of dried in cement. It's people just trying, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus here and now? Mm-hmm. And you know, I guess, you know, maybe one way of defining Christendom is that question is no longer an active one because you've already got it figured out. There's nothing, there's nothing to do different. There's nothing to learn. There's, right, you know, right. it's just the way the, you have to conform to us. We're not going to go out there and, and try to incarnate something in your midst. Right. Which is a great way to live if you're on the inside of the bubble and you're really comfortable there and you're surrounded by, you know, people that are comfortable there. But it's a horrible place if you doubt. And it's a horrible place if you have outsiders coming in who don't fit with that. And and it's truly like, it's not even a good place to be a human, never mind a pastor. Like if I had to pastor in a church where doubters, people that came in who don't fit the normal makeup of this community, you know, if I had to treat them with suspicion... I'm going to lose my soul pretty quickly. Hmm. Why? Why would you lo- what I know, what do you mean by that? Why would you lose it quickly just cuz you have to be like disingenuous or what? Because because either I have to tell these people to their face, you have to change to be loved here mm. and to experience God's presence here in whatever way God chooses to do that, or I have to just make it uncomfortable enough that they get it and they leave of their own accord. Hmm. Which I think really happens often in, in communities where we don't want you here because people are tithing right now and people are hanging out and they're having a good time and they're raising their kids and your presence is a disruption that we can't handle. And the anxiety that it brings me as a leader is too great or the anxiety that it brings people in our church is too great for you to be here. And so we're either going to ask you to change, you know, whether or not God's for putting this change on you, we're going to ask you to force a change or we're going to invite you to leave. Hand them over to Satan, as Paul would say. 
yeah, but you know yeah, that's that's not- the first century version of that maybe you know it's like you know you're disruptive you have parameters and you have tons of parameters but sometimes things can get so disruptive that yeah and and i think there's a, a difference you know where paul says hand them over to satan because their actions are disruptive you know they, they are harming the shalom the peace of the community and say a gay couple coming to your church in a more conservative space and you saying hey just your presence is troubling you know, I see a big difference between that. That there are times where we say, "Hey, you, your actions are breaking relationships here." And in that case, I'm actually okay with some degree of church discipline. But to say your doubts, you know, you don't know if you believe anymore. Well, hey, listen, you got to figure this out. That's that's where you get into that losing your soul territory, where you have to start doing things that actually fly in the face of the gospel and fly in the face of of the life of Jesus. Well, whenever your theology is built on a product to sell, hmm. marketing and values can sometimes get blurred. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that, that is completely the case. And so, I mean, I, I, I say that quite strongly. I probably shouldn't overstate things because I know a lot of people in settings that are more like that. And, you know, if you can do it, God bless you because I don't want to. And really rigid churches need pastors too and need people in them that are going to love and serve people. So I, I don't actually want to be too harsh. I just couldn't do it. And I, and I think there's fruit we're seeing that we wouldn't see there. And I'm sure they're seeing good fruit that we don't see. But, you know, I get people all the time, and, and I'm sure, you know, lots of people listening to this, and lots of, and you too as well, have had people come to you kind of in the dead of night and say, you know, what's up with the freedom that you and your community have in Christ? Like, what, why, why are people not anxious? Why are people not scared? Why are people comfortable with differences? And, and that kind of, you know, they used to come and spy on the early Christians because of the freedom they had in Christ. And now people can't talk about their views on hell without being afraid they're going to lose their job. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that is just so countercultural to this way of freedom we're supposed to have where we don't have to control everything. We're going to invite people into a genuine faith and into uh, a kind of formation into the life of Jesus but we don't all have to look the same or talk the same or think the same. What, what advice would you give to pastors who maybe are struggling with being in a congregation that maybe expects them to be one way, but they've been going on their own journey? And they, you know, they maybe don't think the same way that they did two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. What, what advice would you have for, for those pastors? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean— God bless everybody out there going on their journey, whether whether a pastor or somebody in a community or whatever it is. I, I can't really give advice because I'm, I'm too young and stupid, but I will say I can share what I've learned. And what I've learned is, is first and foremost, if I have a good mentor that's going to walk with me through this or a spiritual director, that is going to take you further than anything else because they're going to be there for you as an actual person. So I, I'd begin with, if there's somebody who can be in this with you, who's not a part of your church, who's got enough distance to kind of be there listening to you in a non-anxious way, go for it. And I'd also say, you know, invite your community in on this if you're willing to, to walk with the integrity that means you might get in trouble, you might get your wrist slapped, you might lose your job. But I have seen a lot of cases where pastors invite their community into this early enough that it doesn't blow everything up. I think you get trouble when the pastor does his or her own work for six years, and then one Sunday they get up and say, I don't believe anything that you all think I believe. And it's just this like the whole church explodes. What are you talking about? And it's almost not fair because it's like you had six years or you had two years to do this work. And then you kind of drop the bomb on this community of people that aren't where you are, but they're not bad people for the most part. They're just people who aren't there. They haven't had the education, the time, the privilege to, to do that work. 
You know, we're all, many of us are paid to think about this every day, to think about the Bible. Like, goodness gracious. So the, the sooner you can invite people in your community into the journey with you, and that you aren't anxious, and you aren't saying we have to change everything so that I feel like I'm a good person or on the right side of history or part of a good church. You know, if you can take that long obedience that this might take months or years, but you're going to go there step by step together, I think you can actually help your community go through their own transformation. And maybe they won't ever see things the way that you see them, but they might become sharper and more loving and more compassionate in their own perspectives. And they might be able to make space for somebody who disagrees with them because you took the time to love them. You know, Kevin, I think I'm, I'm, this is just hitting me here. You can't do what you're saying if you're simply coming out of, we keep using this term Christendom, because I mean, Christendom people, and I don't mean that in a negative, I'm trying to be descriptive mm-hmm. when I say that, because you know we've mm-hmm. all experienced this, but I think Christendom people can't do what you're asking them mm-hmm. to do. It almost has to be people, you know, on the edge of faith, so to speak, on, you know, on the edge of the inside or the outside, or yep, people yep. Who, who, who are so unchurched, let's say, but are curious. I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the kind of place, because we're, we're so trained that the, I mean, this is so not Paul, but what brings unity is unity of doctrine. Right. That's what right. makes us a body, and maybe you can tolerate some slight differences, like maybe in church music, so we have two services or whatever. But, <laughs> but you know, in terms of like really disagreeing about things, you, know, you, you need, you can't do that. I, I'm not going to use a different word than Christendom. You, you can't come from this biblicistic mentality where everything is laid out for us very clearly in the Bible. So, you know, that's the baggage you were talking about before, the baggage people come in with, and many of your people sound like they don't have that baggage. No, in in our community, the people that have left are largely people that became disenfranchised. And, And so that's who we're, as a church, best at reaching. What I am struck by, though, is that the people in our church and myself have relationships with you know dozens of other churches in the area through a, a network we're a part of and, and some other relationships. And, and I've been able to, and we've had people bring some of what we're learning into some very traditional rigid spaces. And you know, when said with humility and confessionally, I, I've seen cracks, you know, like I think that even your kind of staunch biblicists have cracks in their own capacity to understand everything or to believe everything. And, you know, they may never, that the kind of church that's set up like that may never, as a community, change. But I think that there is something to be said for being able to state, you know, again, without anxiety and without trying to force other people to get to where you are, to be able to articulate where you are and, and kind of offer that up as a gift. And people might say, you know, I actually carry some of that around with me as well, or I carry some of these doubts or these anxieties or these worries. I've seen that happen in spaces where I wouldn't have expected it. But I do imagine there are a lot of churches where this is just anathema from day one. Uh, we just probably don't have as many of them up in Canada, so it's also hard for me. <laughs> I've never, I, you know, I don't live in the deep south. I don't even know what goes on down there. So yeah, well. I, I, I should, I should keep my experiences what they are. This is just my experience. <laughs> don't go to your mega church of like Southern Baptist hardcore fundamentalists and, and start. I don't know. You, you, you guys all know better than I do about the context there. Well, let me let me sum up something here, Kevin. That again, I think I'm hearing. The Bible, the way it works in your congregation, in your gathering of people, is an object of, of respect and mm-hmm. something to be engaged with as a community 
realizing that you may have diverse opinions on what things mean. And that's sort of normal, right? That's yeah. a cultural yeah. expectation where you are. Yes. Yeah, that I mean I would I would say it's it's not a cultural expectation where we are in the sense that there are many other churches around us. Doing no, but this, in your church. But in our church that's a cultural that's expectation. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's that's not, I mean a mini cultural yeah. expectation. And yes, I just yeah, know totally. many people that I, you know, whether I teach them in college or people I come across who are really yearning for something like that. That they, they want to take the Bible seriously, but they don't want to be funneled into something quickly, and they want to sort of try to trust God along the way. And it's, sometimes it's hard to do that when you're being told, yeah, no, you don't have to think exactly like this, but you do, and mm-hmm, you've got a couple mm-hmm. weeks to get there, or you can't participate, or this or that. And that's just putting a lot of pressure on people who... I think are trying to think about things in a fresh way, in a curious way, in a very human way, and not just yep. staying within the lines, which usually gets pretty dull and, and I think lifeless <laughs> after a while, you know? Yeah. And it takes a certain amount of courage, you know, yeah. and, and absolute, you know, uh, giving thanks for everybody out there who has the courage to, to kind of walk this path, because you will have people leave. And conservative people tithe well. So if you're a pastor and you've got a budget, you know, I, I understand that the tensions. But when we church planted, you know, we probably could have grown pretty quickly. We've got some great musicians, you know, we, we've got people in the church that preach and myself, and we're not terrible. Like, we probably could have gotten to to be a, you know, if we had taken people from other churches and kind of given them a little more freedom, but still being pretty doctrinal and pretty rigid, we could have had a different story. But there's a, a sort of, again, to quote Eugene Peterson, a, a long obedience in this direction that we've chosen where we're going to grow slowly as a community. And that's good. And we are going to have a low budget. You know, I worked another job for the first six years of this church because that's just how you get this freedom. You know, you you can't suckle the teat of Christendom. I don't know how to best say that. You can't get the, the $100,000 grants or whatever the heck people get when they're church planning. You, you can't do that and keep your integrity in this area if this is a place where you feel this is a line of integrity. Yeah. And so we have to we have to be willing to shrink our our empires down to be a little scrappier, to be a little communal and to set our expectations a bit lower. But I think when you do that you get freedom and you get transformation and you get the Bible being as fresh today as it was 8 years ago when we talked about this for the first time. And that's a gift that for me, you know, I'll gladly if we budget drops and we have to sell our building and all these things that we've picked up over the last eight years, you know, I'll go back to working at the group home part-time if it means I also get to be in a space where we have this much life around scripture and this much space to work through things together. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are encouraged to hear that. So, well, listen, Kevin, we're, we are coming to the end of our time here and just alert our listeners where they can find you online and maybe also if, if you're working on any sort of a project at the current moment, let us know what that is. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to connect with anybody else out there that is uh, interested in this stuff. You can find me on, I I use uh, social media stuff, Kevin Makins, M-A-K-I-N-S. I use Instagram a lot, so you could add me on there, be happy to connect. Uh, I also have a website, kevinmakins.com, and I've done a million projects. I did a 60-minute one-man show on the Bible, which is on there. I just finished a podcast run about living uh, with—my wife and I live with three housemates and our daughter. We just did a five-episode podcast about unintentional community. So jump on there. We have a sermon podcast, Eucharist Church. Listen to that. And then I've got a book that is currently sitting in publishers' 
offices waiting to hear back from them. So hopefully in the next year, year and a half, there'll be a book that tells our story of our church trying to reclaim church for good. And so uh, look forward to that if you are interested at all in some more stories around some of the stuff we're talking about. That'd be great. Excellent. All right, Kevin. Yeah. Well, Jared, do you have anything? I don't. I I just want to make sure that our audience understands that it's Kevin Macon's and not Kevin Bacon. That's all. No. Yeah. We were talking earlier. This is a very common uh, misconception because I look and talk and act exactly like Kevin Bacon, but I am not the hugely successful 90s actor, Kevin Bacon. Totally different person. <laughs> easy, easy mistake to make, I'm sure. So common. Yeah. He's really around the church circuit in Canada, so it's it's very annoying for me. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, thanks so much, Kevin, for coming on. <laughs> Guys, it was great. It was great hanging out with you. Thanks for the podcast. I, I know that for me, it's been a huge uh, gift. And just, you know, when, when I'm out on a run or commuting somewhere to be able to listen to this kind of conversations you curate. I'm grateful for that. So thanks for having me on. Excellent. All right. See you later. Thanks a lot, Kevin. See ya. Bye-bye. Okay. Now that we have finished that conversation with Kevin, I wonder how many people are sticking around just because at the beginning I called them heathens and pagans for not listening to the end of the episode. Well, anyway... Thanks for joining us for this episode. Again, check out just all the conversations that are happening around the Bible. We're very excited. If you're a member of Patreon, we would encourage you to engage in that Slack conversation. Thousands of messages and conversations happening there around everything around the Bible that you can pretty much think of. And if you can think of it and it's not there, we would encourage you to include it and add it. And just join that community, join that conversation. If you don't know what we're talking about, you can go to patreon.com front slash the Bible for normal people and find ways that you can support us and also engage this community in many ways. We hope to see you there. See you next time.